started calling me a idiot. Uh, Indians are dumb. Tonight, another day, another racist attack on a provincial candidate. Plus, Bonnie Henry's a Freedom of speech or dangerous conspiracy propaganda as hundreds protest pandemic restrictions and. We spent the whole night um, just due to the weather, just due to the weather conditions. But wait until you hear what a search team member had to say to these two unprepared hikers. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. No one said politics was easy, but so far in this provincial election campaign, we've seen examples of sexism and anti-LGBTQ2 sentiments. Well, now two incidents in the past couple of days are bringing to light the racism some candidates are facing. Grace Key has our top story. He just jumped out of his car, started calling me a idiot. Uh, Indians are dumb. What are you doing? What, where's your dogs? I don't know what that means. Saturday night, a couple yelled racial slurs at B.C. Liberal candidate Rishi Sharma for Sanish South. You're worse than Hell's Angels. And then his girlfriend or something got out of the car and started yelling at me as well. Minutes after the interaction, the campaign team decided to capture their raw emotions on video. I've never experienced something like that. I, I didn't, didn't believe what I was hearing. It was just noise. And then you realize what he's talking about and who he's talking to. It's, yeah. Your ears have to get tuned to it. I see it all the time, unfortunately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it happened on the corner of Marigold and Interurban Road while the team was fixing campaign signs. If you look at the video, you can tell, you know, the anxiety, the hate, the trauma, the emotion. It's all there. It's all real. And so imagine how often we have to deal with that as, as people of color. It was really traumatic because you have this great guy who's running for office. You come down to help him and you see something like this. That's not my Canada. That's not our Canada. To me, that guy may have a citizenship, but he's not Canadian. And yet another instance of hate against a candidate. On Friday, someone drew a swastika and sexist slur on a sign for her winter sand hoop, the NDP candidate for Vernon Monashi. Hurts like, you know, somebody poked you right with a knife in your heart. And once again, another bitter reminder that you're less... Or you don't belong. The candidates posted the incidents on social media and both say they've gotten lots of support. All the comments, the messages, the emails are so reassuring, again reminding me that this is who Canadians are. This is what Canada is. You know, Rishi says, no, we got to answer with love, right? We can't, you know, hate creates our own prisons within us and, and we have to, that guy has a problem and I wish I could have talked to him about that and that just... I mean, it's hard not to get teary-eyed when you have someone who, who's that benevolent and that empathetic. And both candidates say the incident won't deter them from continuing their run for office. Grace Key, Global News. The leaders of the two front-running parties weighed in today on an NDP candidate's comments. Those comments were seen as possibly mocking a First Nations leader. Yesterday, Stikine NDP candidate Nathan Cullen issued an apology to Roy Jones Jr., the Liberal candidate in the North Coast, who is also Haida. During a recent all-candidates debate, Cullen was heard saying that Jones Jr. is, quote, Haida, he's not well-liked before making fun of his First Nations name. But the Liberals aren't accepting Cullen's apology. Keith Baldry joins us now in a rare in-studio appearance. <laughs> Keith, is Cullen's apology going to be enough? 
Clearly not enough for the B.C. Liberals who have turned the tables on the NDP now. To the, the Liberals found themselves being drugged by two incidents involving a couple of their candidates. Uh, Jane Thornthwaite, of course, with that now notorious Zoom sexism call. And Laurie Throness for his controversial comments on uh, contraception and eugenics and other controversial statements in the past. So now the tables are turning. The NDP finds itself on the defensive today over this. Nathan Cullen, obviously a star candidate in a riding he should win. But we'll see on uh, October 24th whether that's true. Andrew Wilkinson, the B.C. Liberals, Liberal leader today, finally had something to go after the NDP about, and John Horgan found himself on the defensive largely for the first time since the campaign began. Where is John Horgan when his hand-picked friend who pushed out a highly qualified Aboriginal woman makes a fool of himself with racist remarks? What's the John Horgan position on this? So far, silence, because he's embarrassed by his hand-picked friend. Well, I think the repercussions are that Nathan's feeling uh, devastated by this on a personal level. Uh, I believe that uh, no one will work harder than Nathan now to rebuild trust with those who may have uh, started to question that. But I'm understanding in the region, uh, people are standing behind him. Uh, the Haida Nation is standing behind him, as are other Indigenous groups throughout the territory. And, and I know Nathan will be working hard, hard, hard to make up for his misspeaking. Now, Nathan Cullen, again, a very popular MP at the federal level, now running provincially in the riding of Stikine, traditionally in NDP riding. So unclear whether this is going to cost him significant. There was a statement issued by the Haida leadership saying they back Nathan Cullen, so that may mitigate things here. In any event, we're into the home stretch of the, of the final week of the campaign. Always interesting to see where the leaders are in the dying days. Today, Andrew Wilkinson in the shoe swap, uh, riding that, uh, an area that he needs to hold if he wants to form government or a strong opposition. And interestingly enough, John Horgan was in the riding of Parksville Qualicum today, which is a riding usually won very, quite handily by the B.C. Liberals, but with the polling showing what it's showing, which is the NDP vote up big time on Vancouver Island and the Liberal vote cratering outside of Metro Vancouver, uh, that puts that riding potentially into play. Clearly, John Horgan thinks a visit by him there today boosts the party's chances of winning that, that riding. It really has never won before in its history. Again, the last week of campaigning, uh, it's going to be a very busy time, but again, uh, leaders traveling a lot of places, but no crowds, of course, because we're in a COVID, pandem uh, COVID pandemic type of campaign, and that means not minimal interaction with the voters. All right. Thanks so much for that, Keith. Right. Earlier today, the NDP leader promised to protect and revitalize BC's wild salmon populations if re-elected. Speaking in Campbell River, Horgan said the party will work to support innovation in fish hatcheries, process more caught BC caught fish within the province, and step up the protection of fish habitat through a biodiversity strategy. Horgan says the NDP will also create a watershed security fund to support Indigenous and local initiatives. And make sure that we continue to work with Ottawa to ensure that decisions about salmon are made locally so that the people in this province can benefit from the salmon for decades and centuries to come. Morgan says his party would double its financial contribution to the B.C. Salmon Restoration and Innovation Fund. Trying to appeal to voters in the South Okanagan, Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson campaigned in Soyuz this afternoon. He touched on the ways his party would stimulate the economy and reduce job insecurity. The Liberal leader summarized many of his past announcements, including eliminating the PST for a year and creating bridge financing for the tourism industry. He promised, if elected, to invest $100 million to improve internet connectivity in B.C. and to give a $7,000 tax credit to seniors. Up to $20,000 of investment they make in their home in housekeeping, in home repairs, home care, whatever they want to do. 
because that is by far the safest place for seniors to age. Aging in the right place is in your own home as long as you can, where it's comfortable, secure, safe, and you're happiest. That's what we support, and we don't want people going to institutions early. BC Green leader Sonia Furstino was in Duncan today talking about affordable housing and homelessness. She says the first step is to help BC renters before reintroducing her party's plan on providing a rental housing grant. Furstino also addressed the opioid crisis, saying it is just as much a health emergency as COVID-19. We need to do exactly the same thing with the opioid and overdose emergency, which is a health emergency. Dr. Henry wrote a report in 2018 that outlined the steps that we could be taking in this province, including decriminalization of small amounts of drugs for personal use, access to safe supply for people who are suffering from substance use and addiction, access to treatment in communities so that people are getting the supports they need to get well. It was the riding that left us all hanging during the last provincial election. Courtney Comox, too close to call, divided by just a handful of votes. As Kylie Stanton reports, the Vancouver Island riding could once again be a deciding factor in what our province's next government looks like. On the road to election day, the riding of Courtney Comox is once again divided, facing off on the streets and at the polls. I think it'll be a tight race again tighter than last time. In 2017, the entire election came down to this riding. When the clock struck midnight, NDP candidate Rona Ray Leonard was just nine votes ahead of Liberal Jim Benninger, leaving the Liberals just one seat short of a majority government. Two weeks later, after mail-in ballots were counted, only 189 votes separated the two candidates. I am able to announce that um, the elected candidate for Courtney Comox is Rana Ray Leonard. I think it's really important that we remember that every vote counts and uh, the experience of 2017 really taught the, us that. It's a lesson the candidates are carrying with them on the campaign trail. The key issues here, improvements to seniors care, affordable housing and COVID-19 economic recovery. While the Greens are running newcomer Gillian Anderson, political pundits predict this will once again be a two-horse race. The NDP hoping to widen the gap, the Liberals working to close it. I think we're a bellwether and I, I think we're one of the few that has a very good chance of turning it around here in the province. Making matters even more interesting, there is no Conservative candidate running this time around, leaving the 2,200 votes garnered last election up for grabs. Where are they going to go? They're probably going to go to the Liberals. So that puts the Liberal candidate in quite, you know, the lead. But at the same time, they know what the Horgan government looks like. Do people want some type of stability right now? Even in a pandemic, voter turnout likely not an issue here. The stakes are simply too high. A lot of people, you know, uh, are uh, making sure that they're going to vote early or they're going to do uh, mail-in voting so that they can get it done as safely as possible, but still get their voice counted. Kylie Stanton, Global News. 
For the second day in a row, hundreds ignored the rules not to gather and rallied in downtown Vancouver against pandemic restrictions in a province that has never been locked down. Despite being called dangerous, deceptive, even delusional by critics, including health professionals, demonstrators want to show their opposition to the public health orders designed to protect us all from a virus that has so far killed 251 people. Paul Johnson reports. They came to sound the alarm for what they say is an unprecedented assault on freedom. Sunday's rally at the Vancouver Art Gallery was the second this weekend. Since the movement first emerged in the summer, they've grown both in numbers and intensity, certain that they're being lied to by the government and misrepresented by the media. There's no neo-Nazi thing going on here. This is all people, yeah, sure, some of them might like Trump. Usually people that like Trump fall in line with anti-masking, freedom rallies, stuff like that. It's not a pandemic. This man claimed to have sensitive knowledge that few in the working press seem to know about. It's a shadow government that's doing it. What shadow government? You don't know about the shadow government? No. Okay. You haven't heard of the Illuminati? One of the big points a lot of people here want to make is that we the news media are part of the problem. They say we're fake news, we're controlled by the federal government and Bill Gates. Here's what they say when we walk in there. Fake news, you guys lie all the time. I'm from Eastern Bloc and I can tell you, I can smell fake news. Everything what you guys are doing is manipulating public. Why are you wearing a mask? What are you afraid of? Because you're harming your health. How am I harming my health? Wearing a mask is unhealthy. The fake lying news to people. Eventually, they started to block our cameras and finally gathered together to make this point about how they feel they're being covered. Bonnie Henry's a The protest ended with a march down Robson Street. Vancouver police didn't report any problems. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Folks are welcome to express themselves in that way. Uh, where it becomes interesting is when we're layered on top with a public health uh, emergency and, a, and, a, and an epidemic, uh, you know, the, the pandemic where typically we would uh, not have any ability to intervene in this kind of scenario, there is the, the potential that the provincial health office could could order us to uh, break these kind of things up. They haven't done anything like that. Uh, so for the time being, all we can really do is observe and uh, try and protect uh, the rest of the population. A COVID outbreak has been declared at a meat processing facility in Surrey. Fraser Health Authority says 13 workers at J&L Beef Limited have tested positive for COVID-19. They say employees are now being screened and case and contact management is being carried out. Anyone identified as cases and close contacts has been told to self-isolate. Fraser Health first received a positive lab test on October 8th from an employee of the facility. Staff members at two long-term care homes in the Fraser Valley have also tested positive. Rapid response teams are at the village in Langley and Rosemary Heights Seniors Village in Surrey. Residents and families are being consulted. Two staff members are currently self-isolating at their homes. Cyclists unhappy with the loss of Stanley Park's separated bike lane rode in protest this afternoon. 
Participants of the People Protected Bike Ride are calling for a permanent protected bike lane, claiming two lanes for vehicles are not needed. The Park Board closed Stanley Park Drive completely to vehicles at the start of the pandemic to help with physical distancing, but reopened one lane to cars in June. Following much controversy, the park fully reopened to vehicles last month, and the temporary separated bike lane was removed. We love the seawall and we love having cyclists back on the seawall. It's a beloved, scenic, flat route that a lot of people really value. But as well as the seawall, we want to have a safe route on park drive so that we can safely access the middle of the park, so that we can get up to the Prospect Point Hill safely without worrying about being run over by cars. It's really a matter of life and death for us. A rare public scolding from a SAR member today. The focus of his frustration? A couple his team helped rescue from the North Shore Mountains just this morning. As Sarah McDonald reports, it's just the latest example of the countless number of people who are ill-prepared when they head into the backcountry. Even after a long cold night in the North Shore Mountains, the Toronto couple's search crew spent looking for, seemed grateful but largely unfazed when brought to safety on Sunday. I was not lost, I just followed the trail, but again, it was just due to weather conditions. That's Anthony Lamb and Roya Rasulian, the hikers both in their 20s, visiting Vancouver, who failed to return from what was meant to be a day hike in Lynn Valley on Saturday. The rocks were very scary. I kept thinking we are going to fall down. We just wanted to have some fun and just check it out, and we did a couple of detours in a bit, and we kind of lost track of time. They lost cell reception too, unable to tell their friends they would not be sticking to their original plan, stuck instead on a trail that neither had properly prepared or planned for. They went through the Haynes Valley, yes, yeah, yeah, which is typically um, uh, an eight, eight to ten hour hike uh, on, a, on a good day. If you had done some research, you would have known you could not have done that. A common frustration and a point made crystal clear by one of the volunteer rescuers who risked his safety to ensure theirs. You went on a trail you should not be on in running shoes like that. And you caused 24 hours worth of resources to be spent looking for The lesson? As always, be aware of the conditions and prepare for them. And do your research before embarking on any outdoor adventure. We didn't really plan for it. Or be prepared to explain yourself to those who come to save you. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A heads up, if you're hoping to take a BC ferry from Tawasson to Duke Point, a mechanical issue on the Queen of Alberni has cancelled sailings to and from the lower mainland until at least tomorrow. The ship is experiencing problems. BC Ferries says it's troubleshooting to see if another vessel can be can take the sailings tomorrow. But uh, right now, two other major vessels are undergoing a refit, so they are unavailable. Another chilling reminder tonight about the dangers of illicit drugs. Surrey RCMP responded to a call they thought was a gas leak. Five people were found unconscious in a home. Now, as Kristen Robinson reports, police and health officials are issuing a caution in the hopes of saving the lives in our other health emergency. First responders initially thought they were dealing with a gas leak in this metro Vancouver suburb, but they soon learned it was a quintuple overdose. It's not common for us to come across a large group of, you know, five people who have all overdose. Early Saturday, five adults found unresponsive in a home in Surrey's Fraser Heights, each revived with four doses of Narcan. 
No drugs were found, and RCMP say none of the patients who had been partying in Vancouver was willing to reveal what they took. Potentially they uh, consumed something, uh, illicit drugs that are potentially stronger than uh, what people are used to. Maybe it's a toxic batch. Hours later, Fraser Health issued an alert about a spike in overdoses linked to cocaine tainted with an opioid like fentanyl. With more than 1,000 overdose deaths so far this year, BC has already exceeded the total for 2019. No no the debate over solutions continues. Some Yaletown residents fighting a planned overdose prevention site across from Emory Barnes Park. We believe everyone has the right to live, work and enjoy the area safely. Already struggling with street disorder and violence, they fear it will bring more strife. But advocates say moving drug users indoors will make the neighborhood safer for everyone. Vancouver Council to resume hearing speakers Tuesday before voting on whether to give it the green light. It could have had tragic consequences. With 60% of overdose deaths occurring inside residential homes, police say the close call in Surrey is a reminder to not use alone, carry naloxone, and call 911 in the event of an overdose. Saving lives and making sure that people are well in the community is our priority, so please don't hesitate to call. Kristen Robinson, Global News. An Edmonton barista has been left reeling after falling victim to a COVID-19 delivery scam. As Global's Chris Chacon reports, the scam ended up costing the woman her job. It was a busy workday for Starbucks barista Sydney Park when she got a call that changed everything. I'm calling because did your manager let you know that you have an important package coming? Park says the caller claimed to be from the Starbucks head office and that a package of COVID-19 safety equipment was on its way, needed to pass an upcoming health inspection. Moments later, she got a call from someone pretending to be from Federal Express, stating that the delivery payment had not gone through. She ended up paying for the package with her personal credit card, as suggested by the first caller. They're able to adapt their, their pitches, existing pitches, to, to new situations. Uh, and again, playing on that sort of the anxiety, the fear, the isolation, uh, the lack of connectivity in some cases uh, with, with employees and businesses. Realizing only later that it was a scam, she was saddled with a $1,000 charge. I was pretty upset about it, but didn't think much of it in that time. I thought everything was going to be okay. She says she eventually got her money back, but weeks later was contacted by management. They told me I was being fired because of this social engineering scam that happened. In a separation letter she received from the company, it goes on to say how she provided an unknown caller her personal credit card information instead of using the store's P card and that she failed to follow training. Global News reached out to Starbucks for comment, but in a statement the company wrote that it does not discuss specific employment matters. I felt like it was an honest mistake. This could have happened to anybody. It could have happened to the next shift that was on duty. And this happens every day. And I didn't feel like I needed to lose my job because of it. Park says she has no desire to get her job back, but hopes her story will serve as a warning for others who may be caught in a similar situation. Krisha Khan, Global News. Despite surging COVID case counts in the U.S., protesters in California are calling for the reopening of Disneyland. Bring back the magic! 
The theme parks have been closed for several months due to the pandemic. More than a dozen employees and fans gathered to say they've had enough. Many have lost their jobs due to park closures. There's no clear timeline on when California's amusement parks might reopen. Some 500 anti-lockdown protesters descended on central London this weekend as tighter restrictions came into effect. Protesters carried posters with slogans against mandatory mask measures and chanted, take our freedom back. London entered a tighter lockdown at midnight Friday. Other protesters said they believed the lockdown was being imposed for reasons other than containing the virus. Czech police used tear gas and a water cannon to disperse protesters who attacked them after a rally today in Prague against COVID-19 restrictions, which include a ban on sports competitions and the closure of bars and restaurants. And the Czech Republic has been facing a record surge in coronavirus infections in recent weeks. Canada honoured its ties to Queen Elizabeth today with a new official portrait. And the Canadian government commissioned royal photographer Chris Jackson. He took the photo last year at Windsor Castle. And the Queen is wearing a white dress adorned with her Canadian insignia, the Sovereign Order of Canada, which was given to her on October, or rather, in 1970 by then-Governor-General Roland Michener and Canada's Order of Military Merit. The portrait will be displayed in schools, government buildings and Canadian embassies. Harry and Meghan are sharing their own photo. The couple unveiled their first new official portrait since stepping down from their royal duties in March. They showed some candid smiles in their California home. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex have been promoting their appearance for the Times, Time 100 Talks series. Of all the politicians to make waves this provincial election campaign, one has had a meteoric rise in a matter of weeks. Just days after Sonia Furstenau was named the new leader of the Green Party, she was thrust into a snap election. And as Richard Zussman reports, she's risen to the challenge. Sonia Furstenau of the Greens. It was her introduction to British Columbians. We're here on the stage debating things when we should be in the legislature making it, sure people are getting it's, what it's, they need. Sonia Furstenau stepping center stage at the televised election debate. The new leader of the BC Green Party. It's been trial by fire since Furstenau was selected as leader of the BC Greens on September 14th on the campaign trail September 21st. What I'm making the case for in this election very strongly is that the best outcome in this election is a minority government. A minority government is what has increased Furstenau's profile, having been part of the committee that chose to support John Horgan as Premier. And although she's been the MLA for Couch and Valley for three years, she still needed to introduce herself to the province on the fly. Honestly, I think I should be one of the people that should be leading this province. I think that leadership uh, is best when it isn't all in one person's hands. South Island Resource Management is complying with the Supreme Court decision. She first arrived on the provincial stage because of her advocacy work around soil dumping near Shawnigan Lake. I was a single parent in my 20s and uh, had those times when I wasn't sure if I was going to get the rent covered. Her son, now 26, is on the campaign with her. Her grandmother grew up on Saturna Island, an inspiration to first to know. She was a feminist probably before <laughs> we knew what feminism uh, was. She was a, a, an incredibly fierce and a, amazing woman. First to know showing some fierceness herself on that debate stage. Every day I come to terms with how much I don't know 
um, but I can always be in a place of wanting to learn more and wanting to do better. First No is hoping to turn that debate success into electoral success, wanting to hold on to those three seats the Greens won in 2017, and if that happens, it would be something to celebrate six weeks onto the job. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. In these days of COVID-19 safety protocols, would you have any reservations or would you make one at this unique restaurant in Hungary? We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, we're both seeing red tonight. Yes, we definitely are. Uh, it was a great day today, so we want to brighten yeah. things up. Uh, we are still tracking some wet weather, especially as we get in towards this evening. And snow, especially along the central interior, and if you're heading along the mountain passes, I'll have those amounts coming up in just a moment. We're starting off where we're sitting at 11 degrees. We bumped up to 13 as the high. We do have a light westerly wind at 4 kilometers per hour. It's the first snowfall of the season for a few spots across the province. Nimple Lake, this is in the Caribou, so thank you so much, Carrie, for capturing that. Pressy Lake, enough snow to make a snowman, so thank you so much, Lorna, and in Kelowna as well. Thank you so much, Hartman and Katrin, for setting in that great shot. Temperatures today were cool, especially across the central interior, just hovering or close to the freezing marks with the precipitation falling. As snow, the northeastern corners of the province today just bumping up to minus four. We are going to see a little wave of rain this evening. Rain or drizzle across Metro Vancouver. It'll taper off, especially overnight and for the early morning hours. What we saw this morning, it'll be similar for tomorrow with a bit of drizzle towards the afternoon though it should dry out we've got a mainly cloudy sky and temperatures will bump up to 14. The snowfall and active weather is across the central interior we've got a snowfall warning now the Bulkley Valley Lakes District the Stewart and Chaco region included within that with the range between 10 and up to 15 centimeters the heaviest snowfall overnight and into the early morning hours most areas across the central interior though seeing five and up to 10 centimeters of snowfall still for this evening. Now along the north coast, we are going to be seeing a wave of rain, heavy at times. On the future cast, the precipitation is easing off along the south coast. For the interior tomorrow, we are going to see a few isolated flurries for higher elevations and then changing over to a chance of showers. And on Tuesday, we still have a bit of instability with cloud cover. There is a bright spot in the long range, and I'll show you that with your five-day in just a moment. Now the mountain pass is a concern this evening. This is what it currently looks like on the Rogers Pass, the Kootenai Pass. Check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions but for the forecast we are seeing an additional 10 and up to 15 centimeters along the Rogers Pass. Kootenai Pass between 5 and 10 centimeters and lesser amounts along the Pine Pass. So snowfall heavy at times this evening it should start to ease off and then potentially another wave for Monday night. Rain and heavy at times along the north coast. Inland we'll see snow changing over to rain. Much of the central interior so it's still snowfall this evening 5 and up to 10 centimeters and then that change over to rain through the day tomorrow as temperatures climb up just above the freezing mark with highs up to three. The Columbia and Kootenai could get clipped by a few flurries and then seeing that transition as well. Should remain dry for the Thompson Okanagan through the day tomorrow. Fair bit of cloud cover. Whistler will taper off to some drizzle and along the south coast. So we still have a chance for some rain this evening. Could see a few heavier pockets and then it'll be drizzle for the early morning hours. Mainly cloudy, a gray day in store for a Monday. The winds are going to pick up for the morning and continue through the afternoon. I mentioned a bright spot. It looks like we'll see that on Wednesday with some sunshine. It'll be much needed to dry things out. Colleen? Yay. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. <laughs>
After foreign tourists vanished, a Michelin-starred Hungarian restaurant has staged a skyline dining event on the Budapest I Ferris wheel to attract customers. The owner says patronage at his reopened restaurant is down to about ten, uh, to a tenth of pre-lockdown levels, forcing him well, to look for other ways to do business. He says it's now especially important for people to be able to separate from other guests to be safe. And the Ferris wheel is ideal with its separate cabins. Tickets for the new dining experience cost up to $200 each for a four-course meal. But it's sold out within just days. Not a bad idea. Great idea. I, would you guys do it? Yes. Got to hold on, though. You don't want your <laughs> sudden movement, your plate, it's uh, <laughs> over. Bad idea. Fair, what do you got coming up? Well, Chase Claypool of Abbotsford last week had the big four touchdowns, uh, setting all sorts of records as an NFL rookie. Didn't get four today, but he got another one, which makes six touchdowns in five games. Incredible. He is really opening a lot of eyes uh, in the NFL. So we have highlights of his latest heroics. And also, it's a game seven in the National League Championship Series. We'll have early highlights of that as well. As Canadians, we pride ourselves on having a sense of humor, but some in Montreal aren't laughing at a sketch in last night's Saturday Night Live that pokes fun at some aspects of our country, including French, Drake, and, well, Montreal. Brittany Enrique has more. Bonjour, hi! Welcome to Bonjour, hi! French-Canadian morning news show live from Montreal. From putting on a French accent to saying we drive Peugeots, a lot of Montrealers felt misrepresented on SNL Saturday night. They just got it so wrong. Kate McKinnon was using a French accent and not a Quebecois accent. But I mean, someone who doesn't have an intimate knowledge of Montreal would not be able to really replicate the Quebecois accent. Some say the comedy skit was a complete miss. They were confused with who they were making fun of. They didn't know who we were. They didn't know who we were. Like, that was the thing last night. But others argue they tried their best. It's basically comedy based on a, a superficial knowledge of Montreal and Quebec, so it's limited. I'm flattered by it. I mean, there wasn't, you know, those things that were not as Quebecois. And it's cool to have the inside scoop, right? We're in Quebec, we're like, no, that's not really accurate. But still, talking about Montreal on a world-renowned show, it's pretty cool. Quebecers took to social media Saturday night to both complain and praise the skit. Some were happily surprised to see the new cast member, Bowen Yang, flex his French muscles. Yang lived in Montreal for a few years as a child. Yang, however, took to Twitter to complain about the criticism from local media, calling them annoying. Despite the inaccuracies and exaggerations, some Montrealers say they feel honored their city was highlighted on American television. After all, they got some things right. There are a few bagels that you will, when you reach into the bag, that kind of look like that sometimes. A famous Montreal big weird bagels. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, these are bagels? There's nothing to be offended by. They made fun of our bagel. Were you going to cry like a, to write a petition about, you insulted our bagels and our... Everything called Jacques Cartier. To work in my Peugeot on Jacques Cartier Bridge, I took a left on Avenue Jacques Cartier and then I parked in Jacques Cartier parking garage. But for some, the mishaps feel like a broken record. I think that there are unilingual people um, that are francophone that are saying, once again, they're making fun of us. And of course, it, it speaks to the fact that there's a lot of things they don't know about us. But again, it was obvious that there were a lot of inside jokes that the people behind the scenes and the people who wrote part of the skit. Brittany Enriquez, Global News, Montreal. 
So, Barry, I have a friend who lives in Los Angeles who's a big Steelers fan. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me why. And uh, he sent me a note today, a text today, saying, do you know who this guy is? Chase Claypool. Well, like, everyone around, if you didn't know about him, you know, you, you do now because he's making a lot of waves, uh, not only here, but all over the NFL. Thanks, Colleen. Chase uh, Claypool's breakout four touchdown game last week means that he is no longer a secret weapon for the Steelers. But the sign of a great player is one who still delivers, even though the other team is doing everything they can to prevent that success. Claypool did not get four more touchdowns today against the Browns, but he did score another TD and made some key catches as the Steelers blasted Cleveland 38-7 to stay perfect at 5-0. Ben Roethlisberger texted Claypool this week. He said it's going to be tougher from now on. But... They do connect in the second quarter. Perfect throw by Ben. Spectacular grab by Claypool, who's got size, speed, great hands. What a combination that is. Tony Romo is certainly impressed on the broadcast. A star in the making, he says. It led to a Steelers touchdown. It was 17-0 later in the quarter. Roethlisberger to Claypool makes another confident catch to keep the drive going. He was the 11th receiver taken in the 2020 draft, but he's had better numbers than all of those chosen in front of him. That catch led to this. Big Ben with the pump fake and the touchdown toss to James Washington 28 yards Steelers led 24-7 at the half third quarter inside the five they hand it off to Claypool who goes in for the touchdown he had a rushing TD last week gets another one here such a weapon down by the goal line has a nose for the end zone it's 31-7 he almost had another touchdown showing that athleticism dodges the tackle makes a beeline for the end zone just falls a yard short but Pittsburgh would punch it in. Another great day for Claypool. Four catches, 74 yards, seven rush yards, and the touchdown. Steelers go to 5-0 after the 38-7 win as Claypool continues to impress the entire NFL. Titans and Texans, Tennessee looking to stay perfect. What a game it was for Titans running back Derrick Henry. Takes the handoff on his own six. And then watch him go. Henry taking this one all the way. A 94-yard touchdown gallop. He ran for 212 yards on the day. Titans led 29-21, but Houston rallied. And the Titans had to get this dramatic game-tying touchdown pass from Ryan Tannehill to A.J. Brown with just four seconds left. Brown just getting both feet down, sends it to overtime, tied at 36. And in OT, the Titans win it. Henry taking the snap as the quarterback takes it in for the touchdown. He had 264 yards from scrimmage, two touchdowns. Tennessee goes to 5-0 with the 42-36 OT win. Packers and Bucks, two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, going ahead. Head-to-head, -head, third career meeting. They split the first two. Now, the pack were controlling the game until this. Aaron Rodgers picked off by Jamel Dean. 32-yard pick six. Rodgers later threw another pick that led to a touchdown. All of a sudden, the 10-0 lead was a 14-10 deficit. Then Tom Brady goes to work, hits the rookie Tyler Johnson for his first NFL touchdown to make it 21-10. And then Brady hooks up with his old buddy, Rob Gronkowski. Great one-handed Gronk grab, his first TD as a buck. 28 straight Tampa points as Tampa hands the Packers their first loss of the season. 38-10 the final. A miserable day for Aaron Rodgers, just 16 of 35, sacked four times. Pack are now 4-1. and one. The Bucks go to 4-2. and two. And Lamar Jackson and the Ravens taking on the Eagles in Philly. It was all Baltimore early. Jackson, who was the 2019 NFL MVP, showing us why. 37-yard touchdown run. Ravens led 24-6, but they had to hold off the Eagles. 30-28 the final as the Ravens go to 5-1.
Felix Oje Aliasim playing in his sixth ATP final. 20-year-old looking for his first title today in Cologne, Germany. Took on top seed and local boy Alex Zverev. Felix with the winner there but lost the set 6-3. Uh, Felix really not at his best today. Now 0 for 6 in finals as he falls 6-3, 6-3 to Alex Zverev in the final in Cologne. The Whitecaps are down to their last five matches of the regular season. Tonight they are in Los Angeles to play the last place Galaxy. It's a game the Whitecaps should win. Vancouver's in good form right now with two straight victories. But road games these days means flying into the city on the day of game. And the last three times the Caps did that, they lost 6-0, 3-1, and 3-0. We're going there with the same intention. Now the challenge is we haven't done well in the in and out. We haven't done well in this way of getting out of a plane, going straight to a game. So that's continuing and uh, to be a challenge. Uh, hopefully we're going to answer much better in this one, at least uh, getting out of uh, L.A. with points. MLS tonight, first place Toronto FC taking on Atlanta United. No score until the 89th minute Toronto on the attack. And it's Pablo Piatti who steers the header just inside the far post. 1-0 final, TFC now 12-2-5 record, 41 points. That is tops in Major League Soccer. EPL today and the Cinderella story continues for Aston Villa. They barely escaped relegation last season. This year, they're the only team with a perfect record. Today versus Leicester City, Ross Barkley fires home the game winner in stoppage time as Aston Villa win 1-0. They're 4-0, second place, but they have a game in hand on first place Everton. Can they keep it up? That is the burning question. Canadian Mike Weir looking for his first win on the 50-plus Champions Tour. Had a three-shot lead over fellow lefty and Masters champ Phil Mickelson entering the final round in Richmond, Virginia today. And on the 12th, Weir's birdie gives him a one-shot lead. But Mickelson certainly has the power advantage on Weir. Second shot on the par 5 16th crushes this long iron from 239 yards onto the green to about 10 feet. Missed the eagle, but it was a birdie putt, and Phil had a two-shot lead over Weir. Then on 18, Phil looking to finish off in style. This is for eagle. Just slides it by, but Mickelson shoots 765 in the final round to win his second Champions Tour event. He's two for two. Weir finished second, three shots back. Final round of the CJ Cup from Las Vegas. Jason Kokrak at the 11th will drain the 17-footer for birdie. Seven under for the day at that point. And Kokrak got to 19 under and the lead. Xander Schauffele at the 13th. Tee shot, found the rough, but he decides to use the putter anyway. And uh, I guess he knows what he's doing because that goes down for a birdie. His seventh of the day ties Kokrak at 19 under, but Schofield bogeyed the 16th. And Kokrak would make a routine birdie at 18 for his first ever PGA Tour win. Finishes at 20 under, two better than Schofield. Adam Hadwin finished 28th at 5 under. Nick Taylor was 61st. And Game 7 of the NLCS, winner-take-all just underway. Dodgers-Braves, the winner gets Tampa in the World Series starting Tuesday. Good start for Atlanta. Dansby Swanson with the solo blast. Gives Atlanta a 2-0 lead in the second. But in the third, the Dodgers with a two-out rally. After a walk and a double, two-on for Will Smith. Bounces a base hit through the right side. Both runners come home to score. It's close at the plate, but he's safe. Dodgers tied up at two, but Atlanta has regained the lead. 3-2, 
as they play the fourth. And we'll have highlights of that one coming up tonight at 11. And of course, of the Whitecaps who in our, are in LA to take on the Galaxy. Colleen? Great, thanks so much, Barry. It's like we're all walking a bit of a tightrope these days. Well, one man in Germany quite literally has been, and he's now set a world record for doing it. Slackliner Jens Deck crossed Nuremberg's Max Morlock Stadium at a height of 73 meters. That's about 30 stories. He walked across the slack line from one floodlight pole to another for a distance of 230 meters, breaking the world record for the longest high line in a stadium. I Incredible. Did, does he look down when he's doing that? Uh. Once, once my momentum gets going, it's okay. <laughs> just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> That's the news hour for tonight. Jordan's here at 11. Stay with us now for 60 minutes. Have a good night.